Welcome to a Monday morning edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley. Mr. Spielman is on a plane right now. He's on his way back from Arizona, where uh, I'm sure yesterday he fell a little bit deeper in love with Kyler Murray, while Arthur Blank, the Atlanta Falcons owner, was uh, falling uh, further out of love with Dan Quinn, no doubt. As the Falcons drop to 1-5, and five, that's the game Spiels and Tom Brenneman had. I'm sure he'll be back with us on Wednesday to extol the virtues of of a mobile quarterback, Lamar Jackson is a mobile quarterback, and he made the Bengals' day miserable yesterday. Russell Wilson is a mobile quarterback, and Boyer Browns fans miserable today. Buckeye fans, not so much. An off week before Northwestern on Friday night. Uh, a dual-threat quarterback in Justin Fields, a very good thing for Ohio State. Uh, but LSU winning with Joe Burrow, former Buckeye, is not a good thing for Ohio State in the AP poll. The Buckeyes fall. This is weird. They got more votes this week overall than they had a week ago, but they dropped from three to four. Well, they were tied with Georgia for three, but uh, Georgia was not going to stay three because Georgia lost at home to South Carolina. Their very reliable field goal kicker, Rodrigo Blankenship, uh, missed a field goal in the second overtime between the hedges. So Georgia goes down, and you would think, well, Ohio State will certainly be solo three. Not so much, not until Joe Burrow got done with Florida on Saturday night in Baton Rouge, LSU jumps all the way to two in the poll. So the SEC has the top two teams. Alabama's one. LSU is two. Uh, OSU is three. No, that's not right. LSU, uh, uh, excuse me, Clemson is three. OSU is four. Oklahoma five. And uh, Bucky the Badger, Wisconsin is six. Ladies and gentlemen, I know we're supposed to take them one game at a time. But why? Northwestern and its abysmal offense. Ohio State will most certainly win that game and win it easily Friday night in Evanston. Wisconsin, after housing Michigan State, at one point in the uh, 38-0 Badger win over Michigan State on Saturday at Camp Randall, Wisconsin had more first downs, 13, than Michigan State had run offensive plays, 12. Wow, that Michigan State offense. Uh, which looked okay for like one drive against Ohio State, maybe a part of another. Uh, back to its old mm, tricks, I guess we'll say, on Saturday against Wisconsin. Maybe Wisconsin's really, 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 really good. Uh, we'll delve into that a little bit more deeply as the podcast progresses today. Uh, we want to thank West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating for sponsoring the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast, West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating, servicing all of Central Ohio. You can uh, reach my guys at West Jeff Plumbing and Heating on the web at westjeffplumbingandheating.com. You can also call them, 614-879-9606. They feature outstanding Lennox high-efficiency furnace products. And, of course, they can handle all your plumbing needs, your heating, your cooling, you name it, new construction, repair. West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating does it all with those Lennox high-efficiency products on the heating and cooling side. So make sure for anything plumbing, heating, cooling related, your answer is West Jeff Plumbing and Heating. All right, let's go. Uh, back to the Browns yesterday, at home, losing for the third time to the Seattle Seahawks, 32-28. to uh, We'll get into the particulars of this, but first, let's throw a blanket over. What does it tell us about the Cleveland Browns? Number one, it tells us uh, they're not ready to win at an elite level yet because these are the kinds of games 
that well-disciplined teams win. A lot of games in the NFL are hanging in the balance in the fourth quarter. you got to make plays at crunch time to win. you got to be smart with your game management decisions as a coach. Uh, you have to be uh, judicious with the football. And the Browns were none of that yesterday. Uh, life was good in the first quarter and into the second quarter. When the Browns started the game with a big kickoff return, touchdown, another touchdown, another touchdown. Oh, it would look like the classic NFL bounce back, did it not? Browns were dreadful on Monday night against the 49ers. Um, and as we have talked many times here with uh, Spiels and myself, the NFL is a week-to-week league. One week you're up, one week you're down. So the Browns were down last week. They're going to be up this week, and they look like it. They're coming out, taking on the Seattle Seahawks. Got the home crowd into it. Baker Mayfield's throwing touchdowns, getting the ball out quick. He's rushing for his first career NFL touchdown. Uh, Seahawks miss an extra point after their first touchdown, and it looks like it's going to be the Browns' day until the Browns start turning the ball over. Can't turn it over in the NFL. They did. Can't get a punt blocked in the NFL. They did. And Seattle did what good teams do. They just sort of ebbed and flowed their way back into the game. From 20-6, to the Seahawks made it all up except for two points by halftime. Now, why did they make it up? By halftime, because Browns head coach Freddie Kitchens made a disastrous decision late in the half. The Browns are driving. Uh, less than two minutes to go. You have Nick Chubb, a big-time weapon, who's having a good day. And uh, with three timeouts in his possession, Freddie Kitchens decides that he will score, use his three timeouts to stop the Seahawks on downs, and score again. That was the plan. He said after the game, well, the best laid plans of mice and men uh, sometimes go awry, particularly when you throw behind Jarvis Landry in the end zone, which Baker Mayfield did. And the ball was batted and the ball was intercepted. Okay, it's a bad decision, but good teams in that situation. One facet of the team bails the other out. Browns have made a mistake. They've made a mistake strategy wise. By trying to score twice rather than milk the clock. Worst case scenario, in that situation, you go in at halftime ahead 20-12. to 12. You don't give the Seahawks the ball with time to do anything. But, well, Freddie got greedy and Freddie got his knuckles slapped. So, now what do the Browns do? Well, if you have a good defense, the defense goes out there and atones for your mistake. It bails out the offense. It bails out the head coach. Instead, Danger Russ Wilson, that's his Twitter handle, drives the Seahawks 80 yards in a minute and eight seconds. And they score. Which brings us to our Flashes Oh Fun Picture Perfect play of the day. Russell Wilson to Jerron Brown on third down, getting the Seahawks in the end zone rather than settling for a field goal right before the half. On third down, Russell Wilson throws, touchdown Seahawks. Yeah, touchdown Seahawks. That's a killer. They went for two, didn't get it, but they're right back in the game. Okay, now I know there's going to be a lot made of officiating in this game because there were some curious, curious officiating calls, and then there are Browns fans who are convinced that every time the Browns get a big gain and there's a flag on the field and it's 
one of those calls that's sometimes a judgment call, whether it's P.I., whether it's holding, whether it's ineligible man downfield, and the Browns are good at all three, that the Browns are getting hosed by the officials. Listen, the Jarvis Landry call on the blindside block was a terrible call. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But, but, that did not end up costing the Browns the game. Good teams overcome that kind of stuff. Officiating in football is capricious, to say the least. It's up and down. You never know what's going to happen. Did you watch the Penn State-Iowa game on Saturday night? Can anybody in their right mind with eyesight, you know, uh, that's functional at all, tell me how the officials could reverse that touchdown by the Penn State tight end? No. That's a touchdown 100 times out of 100. Yet they reversed it. And Penn State didn't get in, and they have to settle for a field goal. And if that ends up beating Penn State, well, then the Penn State fans are moaning from now until the end of time. But the Penn State defense complimented its offense. Offense couldn't get in the end zone. The Penn State defense had the answer. Did anybody see the Notre Dame-USC game on Saturday night? USC scores, USC onside kick, and Notre Dame had 12 men on the field. 11 in uniform, one looking suspiciously like Brian Kelly, who's standing out there on a field directing his guys during the onside kick. I'm pretty sure that's against the rules. Wasn't called. So everybody's got an officiating beef. The call in the Browns game yesterday, the Jarvis Landry call, did not end up costing the Browns that game. And you're not helping the team by focusing on that. Because, look, there's enough stuff that happened in the game that the Browns need to fix and can fix and should fix and must fix in order to get back in the playoff race. And if you give them a chew toy to hang on to, oh, the refs are out to get us. That's not going to help this football team. And they need to get out of that mindset. They absolutely need to get out of that mindset. The other thing that I think will help this team get out of the mindset, Freddie Kitchen said this after the game. He said, you got to play with passion, not emotion. Okay, it's a fine tightrope between the two. But he's talking about, extracurricular stuff after the whistle and things that distract you and all that. And I do think he has a point there because this is one of my concerns with the Browns all along. When you have highly emotional guys like Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield, uh, I think when bad things happen in a game, you tend to externalize it instead of internalize it. You know, what, what was it Laura Oakman said yesterday during the game? Jarvis Landry came over on the sidelines. He's yelling, oh, we got to beat the Seahawks, and we got to beat the refs too. Oh, wah, 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 Jarvis Landry. Wah, execute your job. Now, I know you made a nice block. You got a, it's, you got a penalty. It's not fair. Life's not fair. And then a lot of Browns fans want to blame Freddie Kitchens for that weird <laughs> and interminable series down on the goal line. Uh, people are blaming the refs. And, oh, I forgot about this. Jarvis Landry's involved in this too. The little fourth down pass to Jarvis, and he's reaching it over the goal line, and he you know, supposedly got in and he fumbled, and the Browns didn't get the touchdown. And Well, that was on third down. And then on fourth down, they're running a play. And after they hand the ball to Nick Chubb, and he looks like he's going to walk in, Whistle comes from the sideline. Freddie Kitchens is challenging the third down play. He didn't get the challenge. Nobody gets a challenge anymore. So now they run Chubb again on fourth down, and he doesn't get in. And he got face masked. Yes, he did by Jadavian Clowney. And they didn't call that. And the Browns fans are focusing on all that today. They're like, I see. They're out to get us. 
Jarvis was in. You could piece the tape together like the Zapruder film, this view and that view, and tell the ball was on this guy's butt at this point in time. You look at it from the other angle, and you see where his butt is. You know he's in. And I don't dispute any of that. I don't dispute any of that. But the fact of the matter is the Browns' defense in that instance held. They got the ball back, and then they did score a touchdown. So the upshot of the whole thing, if they hadn't scored, then I'd be with you on that. But they scored. It just took a few more minutes off the clock. You could say, well, then we would have had more time at the end of the game, Bruce. And you're right, but you know what? Pete Carroll's not stupid. After Baker Mayfield threw his third interception on his second pass behind a receiver, and Baker defenders want to say, oh, see, the two of those were batted. Yeah, two of those were batted. Two of those were up in the air because he threw behind a receiver. You got to be accurate in the NFL. He was not accurate. I know he played hurt and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not blaming the loss on Baker. And I'm not blaming the loss on Freddie Kitchens. This is a team loss. Nick Chubb fumbled. Nick Chubb, reliable guy. Yes, of course. But you can't do that kind of stuff. You just can't do that kind of stuff. That's the stuff that gets you beat. That's why the Browns are two and four. And that's why the Seahawks are five and one. The Seahawks have won. One game by a point, it's either one game by one point and two games by two points, or it's two games by one point and another game by two points, and then yesterday by four points. So they've won four of their five games by four points or less. They don't make mistakes like a block punt, like turnovers, like bad decision-making at the end of the half. They don't do that stuff. And look at who the Browns have beaten. Look at the quarterbacks the Browns have beaten. The Browns have beaten Luke Falk and Lamar Jackson. Now, I know the Bengals made Lamar Jackson look like the second coming of Michael Vick yesterday. He had 200 yards passing or 250 passing and 150 rushing. First time in his Super Bowl era. Big whoop. That's not sustainable. As I've said ad infinitum about Lamar Jackson, that is not sustainable. So the Browns have beaten two guys who five years from now will not be quarterbacking in the NFL. And who have they lost to? Marcus Mariota. Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Russell Wilson. Uh, Marcus Mariota might not be quarterbacking in the NFL five years from now either, given the fact that he got yanked yesterday for Ryan Tannehill. But the Titans have problems. And this is the other thing I would say to you Browns fans, to comfort you a bit. We all want to look at our own misery and say, this team is disappointing me, the same old Browns. It's not the same old Browns. Here's why it's not the same old Browns. It's the Browns making the same old mistakes. But this team is clearly talented. This team clearly has potential. Take comfort in the fact that the NFL is a week-to-week league. And I do believe they will figure it out. I do believe that because I see enough good in what they're doing. Steelers have, no, excuse me, Ravens have wins over Bengals, Steelers, Dolphins, Cardinals, okay? Those are four of the Ravens' wins. The Browns have not played any of those four. They've not played the Steelers with their third-team QB, although he looked pretty good last night. The Bengals, which never looked good, only winless team besides uh, the Dolphins. They've not played the Cardinals, and the Cardinals are getting better, one, two in a row. And the Dolphins. So the Browns have not played those four woeful teams. Here's the numbers today. Browns' first seven opponents, because we can they're in the bye week now, but we can count New England unbeaten in there. That's where the Browns go next time out. The Browns' first seven opponents as of this morning are 26 and 14 collectively. Their last nine opponents, their last nine opponents are 16, 35, and 1. 
So the schedule lightens up. And they've beaten the Ravens in their only meeting. So it's not all dread and misery for the Cleveland Browns. But they've got to figure this stuff out. The stuff that decides winning in close games, you got to figure out a point made by head coach Freddie Kitchens. I thought our guys fought hard today. Too many mistakes. Too many mistakes in the red zone. Uh, can't overcome all those. Still had a chance to overcome them. Ended up second 20 on that last drive, and then we ended up throwing a pick on second down. So that was the game. Felt total confidence in the fact that we could have taken the ball down and scored a touchdown. Uh, weren't able to do that. Anytime you get backed up first and 20, second and 20, it becomes very difficult to move the ball. That's got to stop. Sure it does. He's honked off. Everybody's got enough blame to go around, but my hunch on the Browns is that everybody in the building who has blame in the mirror wants to look through the window and look at other guys for their blame. You know, Freddie's mad that he lighten up Hilliard for catch the ball. Well, okay, yeah, catch the ball. Baker, how about you throw it on target? Freddie, how about you not get greedy at the end of the half? Defense, how about you come up big and stop the Seahawks at the end of the half? There's plenty of blame in the mirror. You don't have to look through the window and see other guys who you blame the loss on. Because if you do that, then they are screwed. Then they are not going to make the playoffs. But again, you got a lot of company. They say misery loves company. Browns fans, look at all the company you have. Atlanta 1-5. and five. Chiefs, back-to-back losses at home. Titans in complete free-fall mode. L.A. Rams, horrible. Dallas. Lost three in a row, lost to the woeful Jets. So you got a lot of company, and there's always a team that starts slow and then figures it out. Figures it out. So I think the Browns will figure it out. But, you know, they got to stop the mistakes. They got to stop the mistakes. Now, just because you're um, losing close, Bengal fans, doesn't mean you're close. <laughs> you're not close. Bengals have now lost by one, three, four, and six points. They're 0 and 6. Uh, your best chance for a victory comes November the 22nd when you play the Miami Dolphins. That's the uh, Tua Tungavailoa Derby. And the loser gets uh, you know, a lovely parting gift and Justin Herbert. That's how I see that. Now let's uh, turn our attention here on the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Doing a solo today with Spiels flying back from Arizona. Let's turn our attention to uh, the college game, please. Buckeyes play Northwestern on Friday night. That's a W. Wisconsin plays Illinois on Saturday. That's a W. So both these teams are going to be 7-0 when they meet in the horseshoe on October the 26th. Um, I'm, I've been guilty of saying that Wisconsin was just another speed bump in the path of the Buckeyes, you know, rolling downhill to 12-0. and I'm tempering that a bit. I still think because the game's in Ohio Stadium, the Roman Coliseum of uh, modern gladiatorial college football, that it's going to be a W. But it might not be as easy as we thought. And the reason why it might not be as easy as we thought is twofold. Number one, the Wisconsin defense, at some point I have to give them some credit. Uh, When you've scored uh, more points with your defense than you've allowed, i got to take notice of that. They've scored 30 points defensively. And their opponents have scored four touchdowns, 28. Okay, so that's impressive. Now, I, I know, I know, Central Michigan and Kent and, yeah, I get it. But still, that's impressive. Florida Atlantic put up, what, 21 on Ohio State? Uh, Badgers nationally through six games in run defense, 
in pass defense, in total defense, in scoring defense, in yards allowed per play, in pass efficiency defense, and in third down defense, all number one in the nation. Okay, so that's one reason why we got to take a little bit of note of Bucky the Badger. The other reason is because against Michigan State, Jonathan Taylor had 80 yards rushing. 80. If you told me that Sparty would hold Jonathan Taylor to 80 yards, I would say, well, Mark D'Antonio's got a chance for a, a victory there. Not even close. And the reason is because Michigan State put the game on Wisconsin quarterback Jack Cohn, and Jack Cohn came through. I think he was 21 of 24. He's got some decent receivers there. Danny Davis, Quintez Cephas. He's completing 76% of his passes. Now, he's played five straight home games. Um, Illinois will not be a test. Jack Cohn has no idea what he's about to face when he comes into Ohio Stadium. No idea at all. So uh, he could, uh, you know, brown sock a performance against the Buckeyes, and it could be another frolic by three touchdowns. That would not surprise me at all. What would surprise me more, a tight game into the fourth quarter or a Buckeye blowout? A tight game into the fourth quarter would surprise me more, honestly, because I have that much faith in Ohio State. One of the reasons why I have faith in Ohio State is, of course, Justin Fields, the quarterback. I looked at some numbers. Here during the off week, the dramatic improvement of the Ohio State Buckeyes, and I'm going to ask Ryan Day about this today as he has his press conference on Monday, not Tuesday. They are a much more difficult team to defend this year. And you would say, well, how can that be? You know, Dwayne Haskins, third and Heisman. They had Mike Weber last year. They had uh, Johnny Dixon and Paris Campbell. Um And Terry McLaurin, who's tearing it up for the Washington Redskins. Yes, but they are more difficult to defend because Justin Fields is a running threat. Justin Fields can be under center. And their red zone percentage has gone from 60% touchdowns on possessions inside the 20 to 80%. To 80%. I had forgotten that last year, about this time, in the Purdue loss and in the Minnesota win, Ohio State went eight straight possessions in the red zone without scoring a touchdown, eight in a row. Now they were scoring touchdowns, you know, beyond the 20 because they've always been a big play offense under Ryan Day. But this year they can big play you and they can pound you. So that's what's really good about uh, the Ohio State Buckeye offense. And uh, I think Wisconsin's going to have trouble with that. I'm not sure Wisconsin has the athletes, the talent, the depth, the speed to hang with Ohio State, but we'll find out. We'll find out. Now, uh, the opportunity to watch a lot of college football was nice this weekend with Ohio State off. Uh, And so I tried to take a pretty close look at the teams that I think Ohio State will or could eventually run into. Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, their quarterback, he's a problem. The reason he's a problem, he played better in their route of Florida State. Big, tall guy who can run it. But he can see over the defense, and he can rifle it into his guys up those seams in the Ohio State zone. And they've got Travis Etienne at running back. Clemson, I still believe, is the biggest threat to beat Ohio State in a head-to-head matchup. Why do I say that over Alabama? Because when I watch Alabama, Tua is really good. Their running game is not what it's been in the past, and their defense is not what it's been in the past. It just isn't. Uh, I question how Tua would handle the Ohio State pass rush. 
He's not exceptionally tall. They don't have the threat of a run uh, like they've had before to keep Ohio State's defense from really screaming upfield. The defensive line, Chase Young, Robert Landers, Devon Hamilton, Tyreek Smith, on and on and on. We got 12 guys I got to mention when I mentioned the pass rush. <laughs> Man, are they crazy deep. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I just think uh, Bama's a problem, but if Bama's going to beat Ohio State, they're going to beat Ohio State 42 to 40. Clemson, they're just right now playing like Ohio State 2015. Reigning national champion, really good team, but not fully interested and engaged yet, but they'll get there. And um, that story last week from Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports where an NFL scout was saying Ohio State would beat Clemson. That feels good right now, but you don't want that on the Clemson bulletin board. Uh, LSU, I think Bama's a tougher out for Ohio State than LSU. Not because I disrespect Joe Burrow, but because Florida put up 28 on LSU and should have scored more. I know LSU has defensive injuries, but LSU's defense, to me, is not good enough to hang with the Ohio State offense. Now, could LSU beat Ohio State? Sure, of course they could. I wonder how that would change the uh, warm fuzzies Ohio State fans have for Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is very well-liked, very well-admired, as he should be, by the Ohio State fan base. But if Joe Burrow knocks Ohio State out of the college football playoff, well, Joe, don't show your face around the Plains ever again. No, I'm sure the Plains people will love you, but uh, the rest of us mm, will never forget that. So... LSU is uh, the team that I would place third on the list behind Clemson and behind Bama. Who would be fourth on my list? What about Penn State? What about Penn State? I watch Penn State Saturday night, and while I give them credit, resilience of character, coming back from that horrible call that nullified the touchdown, I don't see in Sean Clifford, their quarterback, an Ohio kid, I don't see enough there that I think Penn State could win that game, and I certainly think Penn State is vulnerable in the secondary. Very, very, very vulnerable in the secondary. Uh, you're waiting for me to get to Michigan. You'd wait a lot longer than uh, if I spoke their name now because uh, Michigan at Illinois out 28 nothing, and then they let the Illini back in at 28-25. Michigan's going to lose Saturday at Penn State. They're going to lose Saturday at Penn State, and that is not going to be the end of their losing. Now, I'm not predicting this. But nor would I be shocked if Michigan would lose four more times before the end of the regular season and maybe more. Here you go. Here's the schedule. At Penn State, could they lose that? Yes. Notre Dame at home, could they lose that? Yes. At Maryland. Okay, Maryland's struggling, but Maryland can put up points. Maryland can put up points. Michigan State in Ann Arbor. Uh, all bets are off in that game. Could be an ugly game. Sparty's beat them before. Wouldn't shock me. At Indiana. Now, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you say, oh, come on, they're not losing to Indiana. You didn't get to see Indiana with Michael Penix at quarterback. You didn't get to see that. Michael Penix is the kind of quarterback to give Indiana some, tr- or give uh, Michigan some trouble. And then Ohio State, which, of course, is definitely a loss. So Michigan, they're not a factor. If they lose four more, 
and they end the season seven and five. I don't think Harbaugh's walking out on them, but boy, what a ticklish situation that would be for Michigan. I don't know. I don't know what they'd do there. They'd pretty much have to keep him. You can't fire the man. He's a legend at the school. They'd believe in him, but boy. Uh, and, I've, and I am stunned. I am stunned that we ever are having this conversation about Jim Harbaugh's future at Michigan because I thought he'd be a slam dunk. Instead, he's a dunk clanged off the back of the rim. He just is. He's just not getting it done. So uh, that's a look at the Browns, a look at the Bengals, a look at college football. As we transition out uh, a bit on faith, as we do every week, uh, every uh, uh, every podcast, rather, because we do the podcast three times and four times a week when Ohio State plays, um, a bit on faith. Okay, so I was reading this morning uh, in uh, Jeremiah. Now, I am, Spiels always says, a wordsmith, okay? I'm not, I, I think that's a funny term. Because I don't sit around reading vocabulary books and all that. But I do appreciate the good turn of a phrase. And I do appreciate words in the English language that have weight, but that are seldom used. Seldom used words. Um, Let me give you an example. The word splendid. Splendid is a really good word. But we don't often say, what kind of time did you have? Oh, I had a splendid time. We say I had a great time, I had a wonderful time, I had an awesome time. We overuse the word awesome, by the way. But splendid is a word we don't use very often. Uh, another word we don't use very often. My late Aunt Phyllis, bless her heart, used the word horrid. And she'd say it like that. She'd like emphasize the H. That's horrid. Okay, there's a word we don't use very often. Horrid. We use, I use horrendous, awful, terrible But we don't say horrid very often, but horrid is a really good word. Okay, so here's a word that I read this morning in Jeremiah that we don't use very often, but it's an important word biblically. And the word is seek. Seek is an important word. We don't often say that in our world now. What are you doing? I'm looking for this. I'm uh, I'm searching for this. Most of the time it's look. We look, we don't seek. Seeking is extremely important in the Christian life. Let me throw a few verses at you. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, seeking is different than looking. How can I demonstrate that to you? Okay, I think I can land this and you'll get what I'm talking about. We need to seek, pursue God with the same urgency that we would seek our keys, wallet, cell phone. Are you like me? When you leave the house, you do the tap, tap, tap. Back pocket, wallet. Front pocket, keys. Other front pocket, cell phone. Wallet, keys, cell phone. It's like I'm, you know, tapping something out on my thighs and on my rear end. Wallet, keys, cell phone, wallet, keys, cell phone. Got to have them before I leave the house. If I don't have my wallet, my keys, or my cell phone, I'm in panic mode. I'm in desperation mode. I got to have, I cannot function without wallet, keys, cell phone. Guys, see my keys? Anybody see my wallet? Anybody know where my cell phone is? Call it. Eh, Hopefully I don't have it on the silent. Wallet, keys, cell phone. And if I don't have them, I don't just look for them. No, no, no. I don't just look. 
I seek. There's an urgency. There's an ongoing pursuit of them because I can't leave without them. I have to have them. So in that same vein, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, the verse everybody focuses on is Jeremiah 29, 11, because it's a feel-good verse. I know the plans I have for you, uh, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Oh, that's so nice. And it's true. But that's Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. So I just ask you, by way of checking yourself, are you seeking God? Are you urgent? Are you diligent in your pursuit of a relationship with Christ and, and, and with God? Because if you just, you know, just I'm waiting around for him to tap me on the head and hope I figure it out. And um, no, that's not seeking. And it says God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Are you doing that earnestly? That's another word we don't use very often. Earnestly. Are you earnestly seeking him? Is it urgent? Is it as important to you as seeking and finding and having your cell phone, your wallet, and your keys in your possession? If you don't have that relationship with Christ, um, it's a scary future. Honestly, it just is. Um, I heard recently of an acquaintance of mine who I did not know very well, but I know, you know, who he is and good guy, and uh, died suddenly, died tragically. And um, by all accounts, extremely popular um, and, and, a, and a really good man, you know, faithful husband, father. But as I read the obit, like there was no mention of a relationship with Christ, and that makes me so sad. That makes me so sad because I wonder, A, what's my responsibility in that? Even if um, did I pray? Did I did I seek to enlighten him? No, I did not. So um, none of us know how many days we have left. Um, make sure that you're investing your time in seeking earnestly, diligently, a relationship with Christ. Uh, Spiel's back Wednesday. Until then, hope you have a great week. Uh, we'll talk Buckeyes and uh, Badgers probably because it's infinitely more interesting than Buckeyes and Northwestern. That'll do it for this Monday edition of the uh, Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Uh, please go to pleaseReviewMyPodcast.com, search Spielman and Hooley. Leave us a review. It really helps us. Thanks so much for your time. Everybody have a great day.